As we wrap up the week, we're bringing you one of the many positive messages from our past interviews. Each Thursday, we're sharing stories of our most watched athletes, celebrities, and leaders. We hope these problem-solving narratives inspire you to tackle obstacles in your own life. This week, Joe Buck. I want to take you back, I guess, a little more than 10 years now to when your father was ill. Um, that period of your life, you know, you're getting letters, you're hearing stories from lots of people in the community. What most surprised you about the feedback you were getting? The volume of things that he did that we as a family had no idea about. You know, there, there are a handful of famous banquet stories or people he met along the way, differences in lives that he made. But the number of people that called into the radio station the night he passed away to Camelwax in St. Louis and then the next couple days, I just sat, sat there and listened to it. And, and people with personal stories, how many people he walked up to, not that, that walked up to him, that he walked up to and asked them you know, how their day was going or asked about their family. or It just was mind-blowing that he took the time and was that much of a people person and made that big of a difference in his time on earth. So, uh, you know, he, you talk about going out with the needle on empty. I mean, he did everything he could do in the years that he was here. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to be his son and I, I benefit from that every day. You said you guys had great conversations late at night when you both were in the hospital or when you were in the hospital visiting him. Yeah, we talked about everything. Um, talked about the Cardinals a lot, talked about the family, talked about my family, talked about, uh, you know, what was going on on the outside walls. He was in a prison. I mean, it, it was a, it was an intensive care unit, but he was in a prison for seven months and everybody's got a story about somebody who was sick and somebody who, but you know, that was the time where I got to live it with him and, you know, he and I were so close and so tight that I, I treasured those conversations late at night. And I remember one, one night in the intensive care unit, I went in there and he said, and, and it was the ultimate of ironies, he couldn't talk because he had a trach in his throat. So he had to mouth things. And he said to me, I hope my time in here laying in this bed has taught you to make the most out of your time, to live your life, have fun, build your house, do whatever you're doing, because when you're laying here, it's too late. And that just kind of hung there in the air for a while. And that, that's something I'll never forget. Um, and so I, I've tried to live that way ever since. And so whether it's career or family or whatever it is that's been, and a lot's changed since he was around to talk to about a lot of this stuff, that's always kind of echoing in the back of my head, and uh, I, I think it was—it uh, wasn't just him. I think that was God or, or something else talking to me at that time because it, it really hit home. You'd been in the hospital every single night for seven months, every single day for seven months, and the night before he passed, you walked out of the room. You're with your wife, your sister, and you tell them, you know, that's it. You aren't going to go back. Uh, why did you feel that way? Well, the next day was the day that they were going to pull all the tubes out and they were going to basically, we, we had made a decision as a family that it wasn't going to get better. And, and he was in so much 
agony with infection and you know everything else that, that he was battling when he was in the intensive care unit, uh, that that was it. And so the next day they were going to pull the tubes out and he was going to be on his own. He'd been on a trach for months. He had had a pacemaker and that was gone and, and he wasn't going to have any assistance with his heart. And so that was going to happen at 9 or 10 the next day. And I'd been in there every day for seven months. And I walked, I'd said what I wanted to say to him. He heard me. We, you know, we, he was in a lucid state. And I walked out of there and said to my wife and my sister, that's it. I'm not going to come here and watch him die. I'm not doing it. This isn't a movie. I said what I wanted to say. And he knows how I feel. And that's it. And, you know, that leads into the next day, which... They pulled all those tubes out of him at, let's say, 10 a.m., and we thought it would be quick. And I'm waiting by my phone kind of for the update, and it doesn't come. And my brothers and sisters are there, my mom's there, people are coming and going, and everybody's just kind of waiting, and it just isn't happening. So 2 o'clock comes, 3 o'clock comes, 4 o'clock comes, 5 o'clock. I go down to the ballpark to broadcast the Cardinals and Angels game. And why when you knew... That was kind of well. That's that's how he would have done it. That's what he would have wanted me to do. Is go do the game. That was my job, and there wasn't anything I could do. Um, and I I think he would want me to to go do what I was supposed to do. And they pulled the TV down by his head as I did the game, and he has no assistance, and and he's pretty stable. And so on my way back from Bush Stadium, I drive right by the hospital, and he still hasn't passed away. And I pull over and I go in and uh, I walk up and it was, I was, it's the best right turn I've ever made in my life because I went up and for the first time in months, I saw my dad neatly tucked into a bed, no tubes, no beeping, no nothing. It was quiet. The nurses got up, walked out. I went in and bent over and talked in his ear and I repeated a lot of the stuff I said the night before, and I said, you need to know that it's time to go, and you need to know that I've got everything covered here. I'll take care of mom, I'll do my best for the family, and I've got everything handled. And I love you, and we've had an unbelievable run together, and it's time for you to let go. And I stood up and walked out, and he died two minutes later. And I don't know that I've ever told that story, but something tells me that he was waiting for me to show up. And uh, I'm glad I did, because had that not happened, there would have been something that was left unsaid. And uh, for him to stay alive that entire day with no help, and then to listen to the game and know that I was five more miles down the highway, I think he expected me to come. and. Uh, I'm glad I didn't let him down. That's it for now, but if you're hungry for more in-depth with Graham Bensinger interviews, head over to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can dive into our deep library, which includes more than 2,000 clips spanning 11 years. Hope to have you back next week for our Monday and Thursday podcast releases. Thanks again for listening.